0: Hallelujah, come on, give them a hallelujah, let's give them a praise, wherever you're at, come on, hallelujah, praise the Lord, yeah, man, praise the Lord, church family, you may be seated, it is so good, so good to see you all and be here, it's only 9.35 and I felt like I lived the whole day today, man, of praise and worship. Man, uh, what, a, what a joy it's been. Uh, church family, welcome, man. So good to see you all. I want to just give a, a word of thankfulness to our worship team for their preparation for today. Yeah, you all can give them thanks like that. To our sound team running the booth upstairs. Uh, thank you guys up there for being faithful as you are, for our connections team, our facility team, and across the board. Uh, can I get these house lights up so I can see you guys better and you can see me better as well, please? It's so good, so good to be with you all. As uh, Pastor Jeremy said earlier, if, if this is your first time, if you're new to the book, as, as Carrie said that as well, man, we just hope that you feel the love of Jesus today because God is real and he is here in this place because we're two or more are gathered, he's in our midst, and guess what, look around, there's more than two of us. So our God is here with us and that's what the promise he gives. And he said it, so we're going to believe it, right? Amen. Well, today uh, we're going to continue on diving into the book of Daniel. We've been talking about what it's like to have faith in our God, especially faith when it's in the fire. You know, this past week, Erica and I, with the kids, uh, we went out to visit uh, Erica's parents, my in-laws, in Plainfield, and when we do that, we drive down to 55 and head that way, and there was an unexpected traffic jam as we were driving, and of course, it was the middle of the day, so we did not expect it, and we thought it must be an accident, right, or construction, and sure enough, at a distance, we could see Smoke billowing from the highway, and as our car inched closer, we saw flames. I mean, like enormous flames. There was a tremendous car fire on the other side of the expressway, Fifty Five. Praise God! It appeared that the person who had been driving the car was on the side with the phone. She didn't appear to be too stressed out, so seems like everybody was safe. But man, that flame was big. I mean, it was it was hot. In fact. It was, on the, it was coming into the city where the fire was. We're leaving the city. We're about five lanes away with our windows closed. And as we drove past it, we literally could feel the heat of that car fire in our car. That, I mean, that was remarkable. Uh, no, matter, no matter, like, how far we were, we could feel the heat. And when we drove past, of course, we said a prayer. We were thanking God that it appeared everyone was safe. But when we think about that car fire, we think about living out our Christian faith in our nation today, you're going to face the heat. And the closer you are to the fire, the the more it's going to burn. But no matter where we're at, if we're followers of Jesus, you're going to feel the heat, even if you're further from the wreckage, so to speak. Maybe you're coming today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Maybe you are exploring the faith and that's what God did to bring you here. And we just want to say you're at the right address this morning. You're at the right place. Because we're going to see today what it's like to have faith that doesn't give in. We're going to see this morning what it's like to have genuine faith in God that can survive the wreckage, if you will. We're going to see what it's like to have faith in God, whether we're far from the flames and feeling the heat. Or we're up close and personal. Because at the end of the day, uh, when we think of the armor of God in Ephesians 6, God says that the faith is like the shield of faith. It is like a shield. It is what protects us. And when our faith begins to waver, the rest of our lives begin to waver. If you've been there with me, I know that when I become weak in my faith, I, I begin to question everything. In fact, even Jesus tells Peter this. He says, Peter, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Peter. I've prayed that your faith might not fail. And that's what Jesus wants for us, is to have the kind of faith that doesn't fail in the heat. So whether you are a child of God, you're new to the faith, or a veteran in the faith, your faith needs to sustain the flames. And if you are yet to put your faith in Jesus, we pray that today you would do that. And you would see that Jesus is the kind of God that will sustain you no matter how hot it gets. You with me, church family? We don't want to give in. In fact, every day we're faced with temptation. The seduction of our own lusts challenges our faith. The magnetic attraction of fear in our day and age will question faith, the enticement of personal pride, or even the challenges or temptation to get tangled in entanglements, if y'all know what I mean. Those are the things that are being faced with every single day. And today we're going to see what it's like to have faith that doesn't give in. So you, can you please meet me in the book of Daniel? The book of Daniel. It is little more than halfway through your Bibles. Daniel is a. Daniel is one of the major prophets coming after Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. Daniel is after the book of Ezekiel. And we are going to jump into chapter 3 to give you some context for, for just to get us up to speed. The book of Daniel was written by the man Daniel himself from the land of Babylon. That wasn't his home. He was taken to Babylon as a slave, as an exile. But in Babylon, God gave him favor with the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and God gave Daniel influence, and not only Daniel, but his three closest friends who got the Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We've seen in the first two chapters that these four men, young men, as we're told in the text, had a kind of faith that was firm when they were facing the heat. They refused to eat from the king's table because they knew that that food would align them with the king in a way that they didn't believe God wanted them to do so. We saw last week that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prayed to their God, asking Him for miraculous intervention in a dream, and God delivered them. Today we're going to see this faith take another hit, another challenge would you stand with me, please, if you're able to? And we're going to read, I'm going to read here, Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This passage has a lot of repetition. And when you see repetition in the Bible, just a, a, little, a little tie-in in terms of interpretation, don't see it as something that's just a skip over right away. But ask yourself, why the repetition? They didn't have a Staples back then or an Office Max where they can get reams of paper. Paper was precious, as was ink. And so when they repeated themselves, there was purpose in it. They're trying to draw our eyes to something. Let's take a look at Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its breadth six cubits. He set it up. Can you say set it up? He set it up on the plain of Dura. In the province of Babylon, then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, and treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Can you say set up? Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had. Y'all see something here, right? And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, You are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Say set up yet again, please. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This is God's word. You may be seated. Before the end of this sermon, we'll get through this entire chapter. But as we read these opening pages, you see something happening. There is something here that's going to put the faith of God's people to the test. We're told that King Nebuchadnezzar made an image in chapter 3, verse 1, of gold. It is 60 cubits tall and 6 cubits wide. A cubit was 18 inches, which means 60 cubits is about 90 feet. 6 cubits is 9 feet. So here, there is a golden image about 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. People have speculated about what this might have looked like. Was it an image of a person or maybe of their god Marduk, which seems to be the most likely thing? Did it reflect a totem pole because it has that weird height with not a very wide base? We're not exactly sure, but what we are sure of is this. It is made of gold from head to toe, overlaid in gold. And it's set up in the plain of Dura. Set up in a field where people could see it and large amounts of people could gather when they're called to bow before it when the music sounds. Now there's a number of things here I want to draw our attention to when we about this passage. Because last week we talked about a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And in that dream he had a dream of an image, if you recall. And the image had a head made of, what do you remember? Gold. But at the chest and waist, it was made of silver, then a midsection it was bronze, the legs were made of iron, and Daniel interpreted this dream saying that it was God showing Nebuchadnezzar that God would set up a kingdom crush the kingdoms of earth. Nebuchadnezzar represented the gold head, but that his kingdom would end, following him would come another kingdom that would represent the silver, and so forth and so on, different kingdoms coming. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, we see King Nebuchadnezzar set up his own kingdom, his own statue, but the statue doesn't just have a head of gold. It is completely made of gold. And as we read that, I don't think we have to read between the lines to think that King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to make a statement. Where he found out in the interpretation of the dream that his kingdom would end because the gold head was only the gold head, Nebuchadnezzar is making a statement saying, no, my kingdom will not end. It will be gold from head to toe, and I will be the great king. He sets up this image of gold in the plain of Dura. Now, I had you guys uh, repeat the words set up because you had to say it a lot. In fact, six times in the opening seven verses, 11 times in this chapter as a whole. And every time the word set up is referenced, it is specifically said that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up this statue. Now, what's also fascinating is five times in the previous chapter, that same word is used. In particular, in chapter 2, verse 44, let your eyes see that there. In chapter 2, verse 44, as Daniel is giving the interpretation of the dream that he had not long before, it says, and in in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will what? Set up... A kingdom that shall never be destroyed. What we see at play here is, something that might not be so clear at first sight, but what chapter 3 is set up for us, set up, right, is a display of basically two opinions on who God would be and whose kingdom will endure. Will it be Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, whom he thinks will go from head to toe, gold itself, endure forever, that he himself was set up? Or would it be God and his reign and his kingdom, which God has and will set up? That's what's at play here. It's more than just a statue, but it's a competition of sorts. It's more than just a display of his power, but it's a questioning of who God truly is. And so here, as we read this passage, Nebuchadnezzar sets up his image... And he tells all the people in his land to bow down before it when they hear the sound of the various instruments. And the cost of not bowing down is to immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, it's likely that same furnace is the furnace that was used to melt the gold, to overlay the statue. No doubt it was a massive furnace, enough to hold a person or three or four in it. It was an imposing sight, and King Nebuchadnezzar used fear to gain allegiance. Twice we're given a list of all the different government officials, the satraps, the prefects, the officials, the counselors, and so forth, are the who's who of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar wants to make a statement that, yo, that though you may have influence in my kingdom, at the end of the day, you bow down to what I say you bow down to. It was a test of their allegiance, a way of swearing to the king their support. And sure enough, when the time came, the sound resounded throughout the plain, and the peoples fell on their faces. Well, there was a large crowd, and undoubtedly King Nebuchadnezzar couldn't see everybody. But what we find out in the verses that follow is that some of these officials happened to notice three individuals that actually didn't bow down. Three individuals who understood the cost of standing and chose to stand, though everyone else bowed down. And in chapter 3, verse 12, we see the people, these leaders, call out these individuals. They say to the king, O king, there are certain Jews... Whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve the gods or worship, serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The people there understood the defiance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as they saw that they point out to the king four different things that they knew would get the king pretty riled up first of all they called them out they said certain jews now first glance to me this seems like a very anti-semitic remark remember they're in babylon they're not in israel they were jewish people and these leaders had a problem with these three men first of all because they were jews Anti-Semitism is a a rejection of of Jewish people because of their race, because of their ethnicity as as Jews. And anti-Semitism exists even to our day. It's racism, it's evil, and the people in Babylon reflected this thought. But not only were they against them because they were Jews, but because they understood what the Jews represented. Who was the God of the Jews? But none other than the God of heaven, who interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, who said, we'll set up a kingdom that was destroyed, Nebuchadnezzar and other kings. And here the people in the province are like, look, remember th- those guys? They're refusing to stand here. He goes on to say, they go on to say, they are the Jews that you appointed. Notice that in verse 12, you appointed over the affairs of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, not only are they here, but you actually gave them some power. You, you gave them some authority. You, you see the jealousy dripping from their lips here. They go on to say, they don't pay attention to you. They're ignoring you, O king. And they don't worship or serve your God or the image that you've made here. They knew these things would trigger King Nebuchadnezzar. But what I find remarkable is King Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 13, has a furious rage. You see that? But in verse 14, he answered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying three words. Is it true? He questions them. Now, if you remember, the command earlier said, whoever doesn't bow down will immediately be thrown. But here the king is asking them, is this true? Now, I find that pretty remarkable, this pretty wicked king refusing to throw these men who defied his orders when he said he would do so immediately. Now, it makes me think that King Nebuchadnezzar probably grew pretty fond of these three men. He probably understood there was something to who they were. There was a substance about them. There was a conviction. There was a giftedness. And he was reluctant to throw these young men in the fire. Look, when we are living out our faith, even our enemies might wrestle with who we are. And here King Nebuchadnezzar is wrestling, and he gives them a second chance. That's unheard of. And so he says, you know what? He tells them there at the end of verse 15, when the sound comes again and you bow down uh, to this, he says, well and good. Notice that in verse 15. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately, which you've said before, be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And notice, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? This is, again, a question of power. Of who is God. Church, I need you all to understand something. The challenges to your faith are always a challenge to worship. I don't know if y'all are hearing me here. When your faith in our God is being challenged, it's because you are being presented some other God, some other deity, something else that is vying for your, your attention, your affection, your worship, your adoration, your devotion. And King Nebuchadnezzar is making this crystal clear saying, and which other God will get you out of my hands? Think of Elijah on Mount Carmel. It was him against the prophets of who? Baal. It was a challenge of God's. When David faced Goliath, Goliath said, will your God rescue you out of my hands? It was a challenge of God's. Daniel understood this in chapters 1 and 2. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood this in chapter 3. What we're about to see here is a faith that these three men possess that refuses to give in when they're facing the heat. The kind of faith that you and I need to possess. We're going to see four elements of uncompromising faith here and what that's like. Y'all ready for this? Well, buckle your seatbelts, okay? The first thing we're about to see is that they had a kind of faith that was cultivated privately before it was demonstrated publicly. Well, we're going to see a faith that had something about it before it was challenged in front of other people. Look at verse uh, 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Yo, come on. These are three men who literally could feel the heat probably from that furnace at that moment we could feel the heat on the i-55 these a burning fiery furnace and yet they said king we don't need to answer you concerning this matter this is enough for discussion O king this isn't an intimidation that's going to force us to our knees You see, the faith that appears to show up in the moment for them was actually a faith that was cultivated in moments with God. This was a faith that had time alone with God in the days and weeks and months and years that preceded it. This was a kind of faith that we saw in chapter two that prayed when their lives were on the line. This is the kind of faith that understood God's Uh, cleanliness laws in chapter 1 because they knew God's word. Church family, your faith must be cultivated in private. And the way you cultivate your faith is by getting your nose in God's word and saying, God, teach me your ways. Renew my mind. It is a meditation. It is prayer. It is moments with God that gives you strength in the moments before man. When you cultivate your faith in private, then you could demonstrate your faith in public. That's what these three, these three men did in this moment. And by the way, people are like, where's Daniel? Where, where'd Daniel go? And so we're not told. In chapter 4, we're given perhaps an idea that maybe Daniel was out on Babylonian business. He was an official. Or maybe this test of faith was more centralized in a particular province where Daniel was not uh, sent to be in but we're given no impression throughout this entire book that Daniel took a knee before the idol at this moment. We see Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego refusing and they had a substance about their faith that you know has got some time alone with God behind it. Church, in our day, we're facing the heat in America. It's not going away. Nothing's going to change here because the, 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 our, our nation, our world, is ultimately anti-Christ. And that shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't even stress us out. When you hear terrible news reports of evil, it shouldn't be like, oh, no, what's going on? You know what's going on. Let's not pretend like we don't know what's happening. There's something called sin It's corrupted all of our hearts from our birth, and we would be no different apart from Jesus' salvation. So rather than pretending like we're surprised, let's cultivate our faith in private so we could demonstrate it in public and let the world see what God is doing. (laughs) That's what we got to be about. So that's the first element of uncompromising faith. It's the kind of faith that's got some time alone with God attached to it. But there's a second thing here. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go on in verse 17 to say this. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Come on, right? But then, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18. But if not, we will not serve your God. Sarah, Meshach, and Abednego understood something. They understood that God was able to deliver them. But they also understood that God may not deliver them. But they were confident still. Why? Because when you're confident in God's power, you can rest in God's will. That's, That's an element of uncompromising faith. When you are confident in God's power, our God is able, you can rest in God's will. But even if he doesn't, because they know that God's in charge. So yeah, you can bring us through this fire, but that may not be what you do. But no matter what, we're going to trust you. They knew that God was able. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar says, what God can deliver you out of my hand? Nebuchadnezzar misunderstands God because he is assuming That if they don't get rescued, then their God is lost. But that's not the way our God operates. Because sometimes we get into that fire. Talk about that in a moment. But here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understand God is able, but that God may not do it. God is able because they know God brought Noah through a flood. They know God is able because they they know God rescued the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt. They know that God is able because Joshua took down Jericho. They know God is able because David slew Goliath. Sure, God is capable of rescuing, but God is not compelled to rescuing us. He does things according to his own will. He's not forced. His arm's not twisted. He has a plan because the same God that delivered those guys is the same God that didn't deliver Joseph from his brothers when he was thrown into the pit. God didn't deliver the prophets who were killed by Jezebel. God didn't deliver Stephen when he was being stoned to death. God didn't deliver James by Herod's sword. And God didn't deliver Jesus from the crucifixion on a cross. These suffered, and God was still all-powerful. That's something we got to embrace, church. We should not think that if we're faithful, we won't suffer. There have been people who have been faithful who've suffered to the death. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith was not contingent on whether or not they would suffer. It was contingent on who their God was. Our God is able to deliver us, and if he doesn't, we're still going to be here. I love how we say, God, you're a man of your word. God doesn't change. We change, he doesn't change. So you can be confident in God and you can rest in his will. And when things turn out difficult, when you're facing the heat, when things are tough, you can still say, God, I know you're on your throne. I know you're in control, and I'm not going to budge in my faith. That's uncompromising faith. But there's a third element to their faith. We see in verse 18, then when they said, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. You see, when you resolve to be faithful, you won't bend in the heat. When you resolve to be faithful, you will not bend in the heat. They could feel the heat. And they knew it was coming for them. They knew That you can spurn the king once, but you're not going to get away with spurning him twice. They knew it, and their faith was ready to endure. So I thought about that car fire on I-55. That car was a goner. the, The metal, you could tell, was already beginning to shift its form. But I was thinking about that, and I want you to know there is a kind of metal that does not shift very easily. It's called tungsten. Tungsten is known to be the strongest metal in the world, depending on how you measure strength. But tungsten will not bend until it gets to about 6,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Tungsten has a PSI pressure, a tensile strength, of 142,000 pounds of pressure before it bends. When I think of tungsten, I think of the kind of faith that you and I have to have, the kind of faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. It was a kind of strength, a kind of faith that refused to bend in this heat of the moment. When you resolve to be faithful, you won't bend in the heat. But here's this fourth point that I've already alluded to. And it comes from the Nebuchadnezzar's response. We're told that he was filled with fury in verse 19. The expression of his face was changed against them. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Some people estimated that it probably got up to over a thousand degrees. He ordered the furnace heated seven times. And he had some of his mighty men in verse 20 bind these men and cast them into the fiery furnace. And notice verse 21. Then these men were bound in their clothes. They were bound, shattered, mischievous, and Abednego were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. The the fourth point of uncompromising faith is that when you're firm in your faith, you may get thrown. In the fire. That's a a hard one to swallow, huh? Adversity will come. Persecution will come. Opposition will come. And yes, while God is able to deliver you, he may not. From the fire. These three men, faithful to God, facing the heat, allow themselves to be bound and carried. At any moment, they could have said, you know what? Okay, we'll, we'll bow down. They could have made a pact among the three of them. You won't tell anybody? I won't tell anybody. Can we get away? Let's let's do this. But no. They refused. And God sent them, allowed them to go into the fire. Church family, we will face the heat. You will be thrown into a fire of sorts. Don't bend. Don't budge. Because there's something else here that we learn about the fire. Is that when you're in the fire, you will never be alone. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the fire? And they answered and said, true, O king. Yeah, there was three of them. And he said, and and, and he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. And they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. The king's like, what just happened? These three men we threw in the fire, bound up, and now I see four men in the fire walking around. He is, he's, he's marveling. He doesn't know what to do with it. And what we find here is an important truth, that when you're in the fire, you're never alone, church. You might feel like forsaken by family and friends. You might feel alone. You might be feeling despairing, but you're not alone. You're not alone, and you're better when you're struggling. You're not alone at work when you're struggling. You're never alone when you have our God who is able to be there with you no matter what. And I need you to know something. This is not the last time one who is the son of the gods would stand with others in the fire. This would not be the last time the son of God would put himself in harm's way to deliver other people. This won't be the last time that God stepped in to rescue people who were there feeling the flames of even hell itself. Because we're told that God himself became a man and he went to a cross for us. In the garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, but he said, Lord, take this cup, but if it be your will, let me go through it. And Jesus went through it. He faced the fire for you. He went to the cross for you. And just as he rescued these three men from the flames of this furnace, he can rescue you from the flames of hell. You've got to put your faith in the Son of God, Jesus himself. This wouldn't be the last time he did this. That's what our God does. Nebuchadnezzar comes to the edge of the fiery furnace. He says, servants of who? Notice what he asks there in verse 26. Servants of the most high God. Nebuchadnezzar knows what he sees. He knows who that God is, and it is their God who's the rescuer. Man, oh man. As he's there talking, looking at them, he says in verse 27, the fire, we see in verse 27, the fire had not had any power over their bodies. There's actually something that gets burned in the fire, church family. And what is it? It's the bondage that they had when they went into it. I don't know if you see seeing this, but look at man, God uses those flames to, to release us, to save us, and rescue us, church family. These guys went in bound, but they came out walking, church family. And it was through the fire that God did it. Their head, the hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship. Uh, that we had set up. Man, oh man, church. At least some of us are saying, God, I'm ready to die for you. And God's like, yes, but please also live for me. Live for me. Sometimes we're like, I'll die for that person. That's cool, but will you live? See, we we, we can say, I'll, I'll be ready to die, but God's like, I need you today walking with me. I need that uncompromising faith today. Because the world is watching what you and I do. The world is looking at the church, seeing if we're going to go along with the same games that the world is playing. Jesus says, yes, die for me, but also live for me. Cultivate that private faith so you can demonstrate that faith in public. Be confident in my power so you can rest in my will. When you resolve to be faithful, you won't then bend in the heat because when you're firm in your faith, you know you may get thrown in that fire. But when you're in that fire, you'll never be alone. So today, live for me. And if ever called upon, die for me. Nebuchadnezzar is there. And he says at the end of verse 29, there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And to that I say, yes and amen. Amen. No other God. No other God. I'm going to land a plane with this. Nebuchadnezzar set up his own idol, his own kingdom. Everybody would bow to it, and not everybody did. Because that God, that idol, was not worthy. But we are told in Philippians 2 that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow down, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because that Jesus conquered death and rose from the dead three days later and reigns exalted as the King of Kings whose kingdom will endure for all of eternity. Church family, that's our God. That's our God. And that's how we have faith. And have a faith that doesn't give up. That's our prayer for you today, church family. That your faith wouldn't waver in the heat, that it would not give up. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet today, we call upon you and God calls upon you to put your faith in Jesus, to know that that death he died was for you, to save you from your sin, all the evil in your life. And when you do so, you will be forgiven. You will be adopted as God's daughter and son, and you will be given the sure promise of eternal life with God. And that's what he offers to you today. That's what you want. Would you pray in your heart saying, God, I surrender to you. And if you do that, you will be a part of God's family, turning from your sin and turning to Jesus. That's our God, church. He is so good. Let's pray. Precious Lord, you are so persistent in your love and affection. You are so patient with our shortcomings. You let nothing get in your way to rescue people like us, even stepping into the fire. And so, Lord, we praise you for that love. And, God, with that, we give you our lives. Lord, for my brother or sister who feel like their faith has compromised, when they've given in to their flesh, their desires, their fears, their worry, their, their pride, I, I, God, I pray that they would just come to you say, forgive me. They would... Embrace your forgiveness, that they would possess genuine repentance, turning from that sin and saying, Lord, build up my faith so that I won't give in. We love you, Lord. We worship you, God. We celebrate that love of yours, that reckless love. That would let nothing get in the way. Amen. Stand to your feet, church. I think we have a song to sing of praise our God. Yes, give our God praise. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord, we give you praise. Oh, God, thank you for your love, oh, God. Thank you, God, for being who you are, for being consistent, for not changing, not changing at all who you are. We love you. God, we love you. We thank you. Father, I pray that we would not leave today changed without being changed Lord I pray that you would change us that you would work in us God that we would go out this week God courageous for you oh Lord how we love you we praise you thank you for Jesus our great God and Savior I pray this all in Jesus name amen 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 well church family in a moment we'll dismiss you all but just want to say it's so good to see you so good to have been able to worship with you this morning as we told you last week we say it again please go out there and, and, and invite people to come and worship here we know like we said some people are not ready to do so in public All right, that's all right we're live streaming at 11 but there are others who are eager who, who are just waiting for that invite waiting to know um, and man get that word out to them uh, continue to reach out to your church family members we don't know who's dealing with what, even in this room, let alone outside of it. And so let's be proactive, church family. Lastly, I just want to remind you about uh, that connection card or that link. Let us know how to pray for you, for the offering. Thank you for your generosity. Continue to give. It gives us opportunities to do more and other creative things. And lastly, as we leave today, uh, maybe hang out outside, okay? We can't linger in the building uh, just for uh, the social distancing. But outside, you can go to, uh, on our front uh, lawn or at Bell Park. Let's enjoy some fellowship. The Lord your God is with you and he's mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. This is our God church family. Go out in his power and in his strength. You are dismissed. We'll see you all. Peace. So